Dan, so glad we were able to meet today. Thanks for coming over. Whoa, what's that? Pretty awesome, right? It's my new FlexiSpot E7 Pro Plus standing desk. Goes from sitting to standing with the push of a button. You know, I've been thinking about getting a desk like that. I have back pain from being in a chair all day, but I feel like they're either cheap and flimsy or crazy expensive. That's why I went with FlexiSpot. This desk is super sturdy, but totally affordable. The base is made of automotive grade carbon steel. Sit on it. Okay. Hey, this is cool. All right, I want in on one of these. Where do I find FlexiSpot? Just go to their website, FlexiSpot.com. And go right now because they're giving an extra $80 off their already low prices. Go to FlexiSpot.com and use code 80OFF to get an extra $80 off the E7 Pro Plus standing desk. Backed by an industry-leading 15-year warranty. Don't wait. This special offer will not last long. Go to FlexiSpot.com and use code 80OFF. That's F-L-E-X-I-S-P-O-T.com. Go to FlexiSpot.com now. Hello everyone, thanks for listening to the Young Pros Talk Podcast My name is Redman, I am your host And this is episode 13 um, Benji Films, and I have my good friend here, Benji, and we're going to talk a lot about film. How's it going, man? I'm doing great. Doing great. How you been? I've been great, man. A yeah. lot of, a lot of crazy. It's been a crazy day. Mm-hmm. You know, long day trying to, you know, you work a nine to five and then you grind. Yeah. You know, that's a the that's five to it, nine. That's where it all matters. Then is right. You work mm-hmm. nine to five at a day job and then you grind five to nine. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a new phrase I'm going to put into somewhere. Yeah. You know, so I hope it ain't coined somewhere already. Yeah, no, no, no. You you find your own way to, to yeah. put your brand on it. Right, right, right. So, man, let's just start it off with the most most generic question, I guess they say. Just tell us about yourself, man. Uh well, I'm I'm 27 years old. Um, it's very specific. Yeah, right there. No, I'm, I'm start I'm starting <laughs> just from from the basics. You know, I uh, grew up in the West End of Toronto. Um, been doing video production for about uh, five years now. Okay, been doing it. Uh, as my own business for the right. past year and a half, almost two years now. Okay. And so uh, for me, I've just been uh, just branching out, trying to focus on a few different other um, genres than what I normally focused on initially when I began. But overall, just uh, just grinding. So what, what when you say West End, what part of West End are we talking about? Are we like so, Etobicoke or are we talking like way before that? I'm, I'm talking I'm talking like Etobicoke. Etobicoke, so, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. so you could you could categorize me just a little bit outside of the, the West End, but Okay, yeah, because so, I'm you know, always you know, I'm not from Toronto, so like yeah. when people say West End, that's literally me crossing to the other side of young. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and a lot of people are like, That's not deep enough, that's not far enough. Yeah. You know. So you've been doing f- film for five years. Now, mm-hmm. when you first started, man, what made you decide that, you know what, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to get into. Uh, you know what, for me, it, it was actually a bit of a trip because um I didn't even really go in with the intention of wanting to do it myself. Really? Like I just had an idea for this this club I was a part of in university. And what we were trying to do was um, really elevate it beyond just taking pictures mm-hmm, of students mm-hmm. and spotlighting them. And I said, mm-hmm. hey, why don't we actually interview them, talk to them about, you know, where the inspiration comes from, where they like to buy these types of things. And so um, I think from there, it just really got to the point where we're like, hey, if we're going to do this, we got to have somebody quarterback the project. And right. so they right. said, okay, well, who wants to go in front of the camera and I I'd never been in front of a camera before. Right. I said, I said, I don't think I can do that. And they're like, all right, well, if you're not doing it, we're not going to do the idea. And really? at that moment, wow. 
I think that was the greatest sense of urgency I felt where I was like, I know this is a great idea and needs to get done. So even if I do it and I make a fool of myself, I just want to try it, see what happens. That's so, good, man. That's good. So it started from right there. And then did you, were, was that your first introduction into like wanting to decide to do film or was there some earlier inspiration that film you attracted you to film? Uh, well, I mean, I was attracted to it back in high school and, mm -hmm. and, uh, there were, there were means to where I can try and start. And I thought about buying my own, you know, little handy camera and starting, but I feel like I was discouraged a little bit early. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of just let that get the best of me then because I didn't know any better mm -hmm. the age of, you know, 15, 16 years old, just whatever happens, you just mm -hmm. roll with it and say, Hey, that I just, I guess I won't do it. And so I think when I revisited, uh, the whole idea of that in university, but I was starting off in front of the camera. It was kind of exciting because I initially thought I wasn't great at all. I didn't mm -hmm. think that was good. Yeah. And a couple of people were watching my stuff and they were like, Hey, this is really good. I find this really interesting. And I was like, Whoa, like, thank you. Mm -hmm. Like that's good yeah. feedback. And I noticed more and more as I did it, like I was hearing good feedback. I was also hearing where I could improve to make it even more enjoyable, right. but just hearing the fact that people cared about what I had to say and, and were interested in watching more of what I wanted to do. Thought, heck, I might as well yeah. take this and run with it. Yeah. And so from there, it went from me, you know, just doing that one idea that I pitched right. uh, over to having another few other segments right. that were part of uh, the school's media hub. where We covered a lot of things going on on campus. And so from there, it was just a natural progression where I eventually moved over to learning how to use the camera right. and then right. eventually focusing on being behind the camera more right. than in front. So yeah. that's kind of how my, 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 my progression went from initially starting to eventually into where yeah. I am today. I feel like that's, that happens very often, you know, with mm -hmm. people, because even myself, this podcast, mm -hmm. when I started the podcast, now I get like, you, you get the feedback and people are like, yo, you're actually good at this. Yeah. You know, and same, I was like, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, I didn't even, because of something that I decided to do that I didn't even think I would be good at, mm -hmm. that I didn't know it was a skill that I would have. Mm -hmm. You know, I was just like, you know, I had an idea kind of like you, I, mm -hmm. I, I think I didn't pitch it to no. Uh, I did pitch it to nobody, somebody, but it was kind of like just my own individual idea. And I remember I wrote a proposal and everything mm -hmm. and I put it on paper. It was something my grandmother taught me was like, you know, write it down because people take you more seriously when it's in writing mm -hmm. than, as opposed to when you, um, just loosely talk. You about just loosely it. talk about exactly, it. You pitch yeah. it, and what, however, mm -hmm. and so yeah, I, I started to do it, and then I would have people listen to it. Like now, I have even my aunt listen wow. to it. Like she Amazing. was telling, she's telling every, she's having other family members listen to it, and they're like, "Yo, you're good. You need to keep mm -hmm. going." Because for a minute, I was gonna quit. Mm -hmm. Wow. Be because it, it was just, um, it was hard to. I realized the structure I wanted to have, like, which was having guests come on and we talk, we shoot the shit or mm -hmm. whatever. It was very difficult to schedule. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like people are busy. You know what I mean? Then, then my yeah. process is, yo, let's link up for coffee or something or drinks or something. Let's talk. Let's get to know each other before. Um, jumping into the conversation. Jumping into the conversation. Yeah. Because I don't know if you ever, if you ever been to or listened to, podcasts or interviews where it just seemed real like just um what's the word i'm looking for it just seems dry or... it seems dry it seems like 
like it's kind of rehearsed, like it's scripted, and they're trying yeah. to they're trying to say mm-hmm. the words right, but it just feels it don't feel as authentic. Yeah. Whereas my podcast, I'm like, I want it to feel authentic. Mm-hmm. I want us. I want us. I know the topics about film, but I want us to go off and talk about whatever because that's just how mm-hmm. a natural conversation. Yeah. Goes. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's how. I, so I, I'm in the same boat, man. I'm feeling the same way. So, but you did the did that film project, right? Now, when was the next time you did another project and was like, okay, I'm really getting into a groove? Was this after you started learning more about the camera or were you just still trying things out? Uh, I mean, while I was learning how to use the camera, I was still doing stuff in front of it from time to time. But I think um, where it really developed for me was involvement with things around campus and, and wanting to cover things more myself. It's so... Um, just being able to have the autonomy to go from saying, oh, I need someone to come film this. Like, I want to elaborate on the idea. I'm like, if I can learn how to do it, I'll just do it myself. And so I started engaging with some different clubs, different organizations, you know, just really helping them to tell their story. And eventually, as I developed that, I just said, okay, let me start branching out and doing Mm -hmm. that for myself outside of all of this. Because if I can do it with businesses outside of the university and I can just be able to develop my own relationships, there's something bigger there. Mm-hmm. And so I think from there, that's when I connected with friends who offered me projects. Actually, a close friend of mine, um, Kevin Wilson, gave me a project to be able to get involved with this basketball team mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. was just starting off in Niagara. And I think that initial opportunity through there when he connected me with them opened a lot of doors just mm-hmm. because um, at that time, no one had really seen my potential or my mm-hmm. caliber. Mm-hmm. It was just really word of mouth or who was willing to just like give me a chance. Also who needed me and was anybody else available at the moment. And so with that opportunity opening up for me, like I took it, ran with it at the time, I'd also been honing my marketing and sales skills. So right. it right. was just a combination of me being able to tell them, Hey, like if you need me to you know, promote to people on campus, mm-hmm. I could do mm-hmm. that. He made to be able to sell tickets, I could do that. You want to do video production, I could do it. Right, I was right. the the everything guy. Right, right. And I think when I start to spend more and more time with video working with them is when I start to focus on storytelling and, you mm-hmm. know, find different aspects in sport that inspired me storytelling and mm-hmm. finding a way to be able to bring that over to the team mm-hmm. itself so that they can get their fans excited about watching right. them play. And so I think that was one of my probably biggest learning curves where I got around being able to learn the structure of how the story can um, right. affect different businesses mm-hmm. and organizations. Mm-hmm. Then also like how I can find my own unique, unique way of doing that. And so that was my, my turning point where I think everything went on a really upward trajectory and it gave me a lot more opportunities when people saw I was working with a professional basketball team. Right. Wow. So when you were doing all of this, and you were learning how to use the camera. Were you taking classes or anything? Or did, was it just all self-taught to, to how to use the camera, camera angles? I know I'm, I'm taking film classes right now. And they talk about like thirds or whatever and, and the camera and stuff like that. Like, did you were you self-taught or did you take a course somewhere? Or? Uh, so for the most part, it really was just self-taught. Wow. But. I, I did have colleagues that I can give credit to that I looked okay, up good. to as mentors and mm-hmm. were there to show me how I could achieve certain looks, certain shots, mm-hmm. how to be able to properly set up exposure. Um, mm-hmm. Just even the process, the pre-production, right. the day of the shoot, after the right. shoot, when you're editing, how to arrange things. And right. I, I can give much credit to those people because they did teach me some structure that I needed to know. Because at good. the start, yeah. when I initially wanted to do it real bad, yes, I was doing 
it at a high pace, but I wasn't necessarily doing it the right way. But the more I start to ask about the process and figure out, you know, what were different things I could do to be a bit more sharp here is when I learn, okay, if I do it this way, here are the results I can get. And the more and more I gradually progressed into bigger projects, I noticed I had to up my level of professionalism right on that right. back end. And so right. I, I eventually gained more mentors who also mm-hmm. showed me even better ways and more efficient ways mm-hmm. to be able to work in terms of production mm-hmm. um, and, and pre-planning and also how to effectively get the shots that I want, the cinematic, the, you know, the, the exciting shots that when people see it, they're like, wow, how did you get that? Right. You know? Right. So you had a lot of people, um, helping you and inspiring you to, to get all of that knowledge and stuff and give you tips and stuff. Exactly. So, so damn, I forgot my one question, but the one question I have for you now is, um, with all of that, when you do a shoot now, how do you go about planning that shoot? Uh, really for me, it depends on the client. It Mm. depends on the client because certain clients may not need as much planning beforehand, Mm -hmm. but for the most part for me, I just have, you know, a template I like to run down with and a workflow sheet. So if it's something a bit more simple, I'll just do, you know, the template walkthrough. And and really it is, it's just a discovery form and figuring out what are their needs, what are their wants, who are they targeting it to, um, how do they want it shot, when do they need it delivered by, things of that nature. And then for me, like what I like to communicate, because I think it's important to uh, over-communicate and also just, setting expectations i show them a workflow sheet so if they need to understand where we're along the process whether we feel like we're stuck or not it's like here we are on this list in the process mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. we need to get from point b to point c we gotta we need do this, this first. we right. need this done mm-hmm. and if we're not getting it done this is why we're at You're not this getting halt. the result i got exactly. you i got you yeah and so for me that's really my process i like to walk through and I, I i know that for some clients, they, they're not as stress-heavy on Or if mm-hmm. I've worked with other clients in the past, maybe we bypass certain steps. But for the mm-hmm. most part, when I'm starting with someone, I'm really obsessed with the process and making sure they understand, like, if we skip steps, mm-hmm. it may alter the results. And if they right. alter the results... Right. And so you we may skip not get steps the product you want at the end. They don't get the product they right. want, and I can't be held accountable for that if they want to skip steps. Right, right. So I'm just always trying to find that fine line to be able to communicate it and not make it seem like I'm coming off aggressive, but I'm making it seem as if I hope you're sure of what you're doing when you don't want to do this. Right, part, right, right. So how do you um how do you go about? Damn, I lost my train of thought again. Crazy. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> um, so have you ever had any projects where they? are expecting you to write a script or most sometimes they, the script is given to you and you're just supposed to figure out how it should be shot. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in, in perfect worlds, when, when I work with a client, they'll have the whole brief done. Mm, beforehand. Okay. And I love those situations because I could add some suggestions. Um, we can just either be able to go ahead and shoot, or we just review a couple things to make sure we're on the same page and what they're expecting is doable within their budget range. But then there are a lot of times where I have to help them formulate their idea, which mm. I'm perfectly okay with, but I just put a charge on that because that is right. my time. That's more time that you have to put into developing the, 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 the quality of the project. Exactly. Right. It's that, and it's also for me the point that I've had times in the past where clients and I have worked through that brief, mm-hmm. we didn't end up getting to shooting for whatever mm. reason or another. And it mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily to my account, but 
those initial times when it happened, I didn't charge them for that planning process. Right. And that actually bit me because I was like, well, I put time to helping them do this. We're not going to film it. I can carry on with what I'm doing. If they take this plan and they do it with someone else, I just basically gave them this idea. Right. And I get right. zero reward for it. Right. And so I just kind of said, okay, well, if people are going to expect me to build a plan for them, they need to pay for that because whatever happens in between when that plan's done and when when I'm done filming, mm-hmm. who knows? And well, I want to protect myself. So. Where did you get the idea or like the who taught you the um, importance of having that business model to make sure that you're getting paid for your mm-hmm. time and your services? Uh, I think for me, um, it, it came from a few different places. So I, I had been working in sales for about three, four years prior mm-hmm. to starting up my own business. And and for majority of these sales jobs, this, the process is very similar to running your own business. Mm-hmm. You have sales targets, you have prospects, mm-hmm. you're working through a, a you know, a list of, of, of to-do tasks. You have to make calls. Mm-hmm. So I've, I'm very much more accustomed to the process of running a business start to finish and developing a business plan, a marketing plan, um, just sales targets, how to be able to review it, kind of look at your year over year, month over month, like where can you improve? And so I think me learning a lot of that in my past jobs, once I took the leap towards entrepreneurship for my own business and my mm-hmm. own skill set, mm-hmm. I said I can use these exact same transferable skills over to something for myself. Right. And right. since I truly believe in the product, the more and more, the better. And so it's way easier to sell it when you exactly, believe in the product. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you've been doing film for five years, right? Mm-hmm. But when did you decide, you know what, I'm going to go that entrepreneurial route and I'm going to start my own business and, and, and do film. Has it been that whole five years or is it, did that start later on after you started doing film? To be honest, for the first three, maybe almost four years, like I had been doing video because I loved it, mm-hmm. but I didn't quite see what the trajectory for the industry was going to be at that moment. Right. But there weren't really as much freelancers per se out in the market at the time, mm-hmm. but I knew people loved videos. Mm-hmm. I knew people had a passion for seeing that align with sport because I worked in sport for years. And so as I continued working these jobs in sport and I thought, if I can be able to do video production to up not just my delivery with my work, but also what it added to my portfolio, I'm like, wow, this is a huge plus. Right, right. And so as I had initially developed those preliminary video skills and I worked through jobs where I can apply them, the employers loved it. And I kept saying, hey, let me incorporate this into my job. And it mm-hmm. always became a thing. And I think around uh, my second year working uh, at Maple Leaf Sports, I had you know, just hit this wall where, you know, I was trying to go a certain direction where I could be able to focus on, you know, incorporating production, creative work in with what I wanted to do and move a little bit away from sales so mm-hmm. I can just really go hard in that direction. And when I found there was a little bit of a pushback and um, it wasn't as easy to make that 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 cross lateral move over is when I said, you know what, I had to evaluate. I had been mm-hmm. doing freelance on the side for a little bit of the time being and I was making cash and I was looking at it and I was saying the the one month I was the most frustrated with my job, you know, it's like it was a sign. I was making more money with that than my full-time job. And I'm like, okay, well put two and two together. If I'm making more with my side hustle than my full-time and my full-time is frustrating me and I know how to run a business, I, I can't be wasting no more time. I can't get mad at someone that didn't want to give me the opportunity 
to be able to do what I want to do when I can create my own opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I'm used to already taking those leaps. Mm -hmm. Maybe not an, a full-on entrepreneurial leap where I'm betting on myself 100%, but I'm used to taking those leaps. And so when the opportunity came and I thought, hey, you know, I could do this because I know there's people who want to buy into me. And for years before that, people had been saying, you should do this full time, but I didn't know what that looked like. Right, right. And when I learned how to run a business is when I said, now I know what that looks like. Yeah. You know, yeah. I developed relationships in the industry and that helped me understand yeah, more. Yeah. And it brought you to this point here. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy, man. That's amazing. You mm -hmm. know, it seems like a long was it was it difficult? Like, did you have any of your own like, oh, should I be doing this right now? Like I tell you a conversation I had with my friend. He was on a podcast too. Um, he just started doing stand up comedy. Mm -hmm. He quit his job, his full time job that he did for eight years, wow. to focus on um, full time uh, stand up comedy. Wow. You know, and when when I was talking to him, one of the things I asked him was like, um, you know, you had to tell you talk to your parents, you had to talk to his parents, tell him whatever, you know, and um, he was like, he um, his parents were or somebody was saying to him. Like, can you do stand-up comedy and work mm. full-time, right? And he was basically like, I was doing that, and I was failing at that. So I figured I would take all of that time to, to, to um, focus, you know, hone on this craft, mm -hmm. and I love it. You know, I got to try. But he was like, what was interesting to me was he was like, he was more afraid of not trying mm. than he was of, like, trying to do the job and, and then doing comedy both at the same time. So did you, yeah. did you ever have a feeling too? Like, you know, I'm afraid if I don't try to do this right now, that it may not be good for me. Or I'm not going to enjoy it. Like you, you frustrated with your job, you making more money on the side, doing the freelance, mm -hmm. you know, or you like, yeah, you know, I got to try. I'm afraid if I don't try. To be honest, I did reach that point. I reached that point and it was something that I, I wouldn't even say I was scared that uh, of mediocrity per se. Mm -hmm. I think what the eye opener for me was some of the people I had been working with at the time being were okay with mediocrity. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it's yeah. crazy. I could walk into a room mm -hmm. and I could be on the same, I could be considered on the same level as them and no disrespect to them personally because right. they were all great people. But if they were okay with accepting the way things were going and they didn't have as much control on their outcomes versus me. I knew I had more control and I knew I had that extra creative ability that right. can drive revenue for me. I'm like, by me turning away that I'm accepting me. Sorry. I'm accepting mediocrity. Right. And right. I was just like more, I was more turned away from wanting to be normal with that. Like I was right. completely okay right. with being different. And I'm like, if being different means I bet on myself and I end up winning in the end, yeah. I got to do it. If I, I told myself if a year from now I made the same money I made working there, but I'm doing what I love more, then I'm mm -hmm. like, wow, that, that's already a first win. Exactly. Yeah. If I twofold yeah. the income, that's, that, that's an even yeah. bigger win. If I threefold it, then I'm laughing, you know? Mind you, I feel like we live in a society today where um, you never know what will happen when you're working for another organization, mm -hmm. right? You never know if they decide to go in a different direction mm -hmm. and then like, you know what, Benji, we don't need your services no more. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? No, I agree. You know, so like I was having this conversation with a friend, like I'm feeling like now we're in this era, in this era where more than likely now, 
because of how things are trending, mm-hmm. especially with the future, uh, with the frequency of robotics and, and AI taking over a lot of the human labor, mm-hmm. are you better off starting your own business, you know, than, than working for a company? You know what I mean? Because, like, you can possibly... So, like, if you fail at that company or you're starting your own business, then you can only be looking at yourself. You know what I mean? But then when you're working for a company... It's like, well, what's the reason why you don't have a job no more? It could be a million things that have nothing to do with you, you know? And I don't know if this is something you thought about yeah, when, no, definitely. When, when, you know, you decided to start your own business because, you know, those are those are things that I'm always thinking about. Like, hmm, like companies will let you go for whatever reason just to keep the bottom line. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and then, you know, I, I think that film is, is very big right now. You know, and we we were talking about it pre-show. There are actually different types of film, different mm-hmm. genres of types of film. Can you talk about some of the genres of film that you do and your work? Like, yeah. I don't know if I I don't know if I worded that properly. Well, you I know? could I could jump to the the first answer to the question you're asking <laughs> me, and then I'll, I'll I'll speak to the different different genres that I work with as well. And um, I think uh, an important part about what you were mentioning uh, in terms of just being able to figure out like your, 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 your focus. And mm-hmm. if you should do uh, your own side again, I think entrepreneurship isn't necessarily for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I learned that hundred percent. I yeah. learned that whether it's family, friends, significant others, mm-hmm. it's not going to be meant for everyone as much as you may think that they have something that may be there. And so um, knowing that it's not for everyone um, maybe it, it just turns into a passion project. Right, right. But I think if you feel like you have that entrepreneurial drive to be able to do something, it doesn't hurt to still do it on the side while working a nine to five. Right. Now, right. to me, if I were to go back to working a nine to five, I would want to make sure the nine to five aligns with what you do, what now. I'm doing. Right. So that if I'm still doing what I'm doing on the side, I'm only supporting it. I'm not doing something way off that when I'm there, they're like, why are you doing this? Right. You, you do video production, you're nine to five, you do video production on your side hustle. People don't ask you questions like right, that. Right. It makes your boss sense. doesn't pull you yeah. into the room and say, you know, why are you leaving work early for this? They understand. They know right. what's going on. Right. But I think to at least be open to considering it for a five to nine is a great idea mm-hmm. because if there's something burning inside of you that says do it, um, it doesn't hurt to take the initial step. Even if you're not really making money off of it, if, if it just makes you happy off mm-hmm. the jump, to mm-hmm. me, that's already a big win. Okay, that's already yeah. a big win. If you, doing something with your free time makes you happy, then you could eventually start making money off, off of it. Like that's, an extra plus. Right. Now, when you could take that leap and say this five to nine is going to become my nine to five or nine to 12 or whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it, that's where you're finding, you know, your true bliss and happiness because right. Right. yes, entrepreneurship isn't meant for everybody, but if you give it a try and you start to learn about yourself in the process, if it works for you, then mm-hmm. amazing. But if not, it, there's no harm in trying it. Right. That's true. That's yeah. true. And then you never know what skills you can learn from attempting to do it along the way that mm-hmm. can help you with whatever job um, that comes after you decide, you know, this business thing is not for me. And you're right. Some people, some people um, are not entrepreneurship is not for everybody. Yeah. And then some people um, are making an impact working for some organizations, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and um, why is my brain all messed up? That's right okay. now? <laughs> I can, I could jump to that. That uh, the second question you asked me, about the different genres or the different types of film that you do. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in the realm where I do more work with businesses. I'll do work with brands. Um, I'll do work with events. I'll do work with, uh, a bit more on the narrative side. So short, short form storytelling. Mm -hmm. So, and even sometimes long form as well too. So those are generally the different ones that I like to focus on. I know there's a whole bunch of other different realms as well too. Some people like short films, some people will do uh, docs. I do docs as well, docs, docu-series. And then some people will do movies, you know, and and it really depends uh, where your passion lies, where your focus lies. And I think for me, um, coming from a sport background, that's where all of those different things have intertwined. And I thought, okay, I could focus on those because they generally keep me happy. And I think moving into the doc world is where it's opened my mind a bit more to how I can create the story. So it's Mm -hmm, not just mm -hmm. a short story being told. It's like, it's part of a bigger narrative. Right. Yeah. I know I'm, I'm trying to like, I'm going to, I don't know if I told you this, I'm actually going to school for film Mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. You did mention uh, that earlier. George Brown. Mm -hmm. And, um, (laughs) I had to do a short film. Um, and it was bad, brother. <laughs> it, was, it was bad because, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm thinking about that planning process you talked about, right? And mm-hmm. I would have benefited from probably having a better plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was so difficult for me because of the time, because of I'm working a day job and then I'm going mm-hmm. to class. And then the, the final project is to um, to create a short film. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, well, I don't have no money. (laughs) (laughs) It's not easy. I don't have no money. So when you don't have no money, what do you do? You're depending on friends. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But friends are busy too. Yeah. You know? And so like, I I ended up, I ended up having to be in it myself, which I did not want to do. I didn't want to do any acting or anything, Mm -hmm. man. And I turned that, I turned it in. I don't even think I edited it. It right. I know I didn't edit it right, actually. <laughs> You're like, I'm just going to jump straight to the point right now. Like, I, I, because I couldn't, like, because I'll give you a synopsis of what the film was about. Basically. Spoilers. All right. Let's hear it. It's kind of dumb, but um, the it was called The Purse Kit. Okay. All right. So, basically, I wrote this, I because I do a lot of writing, right? Because I, 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 I use Celtics. Which okay. I just wow. paid for it for the subscription. It used to be free. You used to be mm-hmm. able to get a lot of stuff. Um, but now I pay for it. Ain't and nothing it, free no more. No, nothing <laughs> free no more, man. And um what I like about Celtics though is when I get really serious about it, which I plan to do very soon, mm-hmm. um, is like it gives you like the it has an area for like production slides and like storyboarding and like all of that stuff and shots and budget and yada 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 yada. So um, a few years ago, I wrote this this skit called The Purse Skit, and it came from the idea of every woman I've ever dated, I couldn't avoid holding their purse. Somehow, uh, some fashion, we go to the mall, I'm holding the purse. You, mm-hmm. We go to the store, can you watch my purse? Yeah. You know? And so I wrote this skit. Um, I wrote this skit, and in the skit, the whole idea is the boyfriend hates holding his girlfriend's purse. Wow. And so in his head, he would curse her out <laughs> for having to hold her purse. Mm-hmm. But then when like, it's like one of them daydream sequences and then he snapped back and he'd be like, yeah, every time he just, <laughs> he just, he just holds his <laughs> He 
you just hold it anyways, right? Like you, you can't, you can't win, right? I don't know if you ever seen uh, Rito Brown on Instagram, but he has like a little uh, segment that's just like that. You, really? It's like you said that, and it's like someone approaches him and says, "Give me your thing," and he's like, he has like almost like two sides. Like one side, it'll be like you know, him getting all mad and like cursing <laughs> the cameras, like pushing into him. And he, cause he's telling the story to someone else. Right. And the person's like, you said that he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it shows what actually happens. Like, Give me your thing. He's like, here, take it. <laughs> and just gives it away. Right. Right. And it's like, it's crazy. Cause I know that happens to a lot of people in yeah, real life I, too. You know, I, that was the theme of it. Right. And so, um, so this is where editing is, is like, yeah. Editing is so like, I'm taking, I'm taking, um, history of cinema right now mm. and so much of it is about editing yeah. and editing techniques and how mm -hmm. editing became a big um very actually changed film and its form and its way of telling stories yeah and so <laughs> um basically i didn't know how to do that though yeah. right like i didn't know like i could take the i could take the video you know clips mm -hmm. and put it in a logical order yeah. that I wanted it to be. But when it came to that, I'm cutting to let people know that, um, to let people know that this is a daydream sequence. Yeah. And this is not, this portion is a real, real life. Mm. Then I didn't know how to do that. Uh, so let's not talk about the grade I got in that class. <laughs> Living you learn. Living you learn. No, it's true, man. And editing is like, it, so what do you use that? Do you use Adobe Premiere? I use Adobe Premiere. Yeah. Uh, I also use Final Cut from time to time. It really depends on the scope of the project. If it's something that needs to be done really quick and it's simple, then I'll keep it just with Final Cut. Mm -hmm. But if I know I'm going to be spending a long time on it, if I'm going to need to be integrating some different graphics or um, just using Photoshop on, I'll use Adobe for that just because the suite just makes it easier to right, be able right, to, right. you know, work between different applications. So Do you ever use After Effects at all for uh, graphic stuff? Or from like, time to time. From I've, time I've to used time? It. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's because um, I use Adobe Premiere mm -hmm. Pro for the class. As a matter of fact, actually, when I took the editing, I took an editing class because mm -hmm. it's part of my program. Um, they teach it on Adobe Premiere Pro. Okay. So I don't even know Final Cut. Mind you, it's expensive. Yeah. Apparently. Well, yeah. it's it's what it was for me was that um it's a Mac application. I use a Mac computer. Right, right. I got it when I was working in production years back and kind of held on oh, to so it. Oh, you got it. So you good. So yeah, okay. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Hey, <laughs> I should have started film when you started you know, film. You know, it was just one of those things where when it when it when I when I needed it for work and it was on my laptop when I was done working there, I was like, oh. I got it. Now. Yeah. That's it. I'm not going to list where because I don't want them to come after me. <laughs> you know, it's crazy though because Adobe, like, I pay, I pay for like a subscription. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. You pay for the subscription and then you can use like the whole Adobe the whole suite. Because yeah. I do, I do pay for that as well too. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm being a good kid out here. <laughs> <laughs> I do pay for that and I use, I use some, some different applications in the suite. What, so, what other applications do you use in the suite? Uh, uh, I know we talk about After Effects and, um, Premiere Pro. I use Lightroom if I'm like editing photos. Um, recently, I've been getting into using Adobe Spark more so. What's Adobe Spark? Uh, I, I haven't heard that one. Spark is really just this, uh, it, they give you different templates you can be able to use to mm -hmm. design like different flyers or not necessarily web forms, but 
um, you could almost make like a portfolio website. Oh, and so one thing I actually okay. thought about was that I'm like, if I pay for a, you know, a yearly subscription on a certain website to make a web page, right. why don't I just use Adobe Spark? Because if they give me the right to create a web page right. where I can put all my portfolio work on it, all I need is the domain and I could transfer it over and right. it could be okay. Right. So, I mean, that's something that I've been thinking about switching over and being able to use, or I already have my website set up. And if I want to be able to put together uh, like a media kit that I could be able to right. send out to different agencies, right. I have Adobe Spark to help me create that. And I could be able to download as a PDF and send it to someone huh. or send them a website <clears throat> link where they can be able to see my work, but there's also other documented um, pieces of information as if it's like a presentation deck. What do you use now for your website? Uh, I'll use Squarespace. Oh, you use Squarespace. Yeah, yeah, I use WordPress. Oh, okay. Right okay. now for the website. Oh, so you just... go, you're going real technical then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I don't know, but you know how much research I had to do to figure oh, out yeah. which plugin I needed that did this. And oh, I did the did same that, research. You but, know, like... let me tell you, I'm on Squarespace right now. <laughs> <laughs> if that answers your question, how far did I last? I'm on Squarespace now. <laughs> Is it that much easier to use? Than... They, it's just, they, they have the templates that are easier to work with. And I mean, Squarespace, if you want to pay me for this, <laughs> this pitch right now, I'm just saying, I'll, 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 I'll ask Redmond to cut it right here if you guys want to. But um, there is plugins that you could just be able to use. So if you have, for me instance, uh, for my case, I have uh, videos mm-hmm, right. based on my Vimeo page. Right. Um, and I'll be able to just embed the links into there. I could design the layout I want of the video. Nice, I want a nice. partition style. Do I want a grid? Do I want right. like a mosaic of different videos right. and photos? And I just lay myself out like that. And that's why I think it's it's easy. And WordPress, I found, had some intuitive parts to it, but there were also some parts where I was like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing here. And if mm-hmm. I go on the blogs, they're telling me about coding. And I'm like, this is just yeah. not my language. I'm just going to stay out yeah. of this. And if I got to pay someone else to do it it's not a problem but like how high of a priority is it yeah. not as high yeah. and if it's not then right well, yeah. why, why am yeah. i buying into it then well right? i'll let you know squarespace you can pay me too i will definitely switch over okay you know if it's easier but i just get one of those um i have one of those um what do you call it like static um templates yeah exactly. yeah so it's just like a one pager yeah but like it can link to like for example when i post this like when i post this podcast episode i'll create a new post I believe, yeah. I'll create yeah, it's a almost new like post. a blog post, yeah. Exactly, and then it'll I'll put the podcast up uh, there, okay, with everything, and then it's like mm-hmm. a little. So really, I kind of manipulated the sections, yeah, because I, I couldn't find a template that did exactly what I wanted it to do. Okay, right, yeah. So I had to take different, like, I think the section I use now that's like episode section, mm-hmm. and it's original like. Um, <clears throat> default setting. Mm-hmm. It's actually the news feed session. Oh, okay. So I had to take that because I didn't, and I didn't want to pay for. I was actually looking to pay for a new. Um. So wait, with the Squarespace template, do you have to pay for the template, or do you just no? Pay? Well, they have ones you can pay for, but they have free ones too. And you just chose a free big chose nice, a free one. And when you go to your website, since you can embed the video, it doesn't go to Vimeo. To no, play. it's it's embedded on the page, so it just plays there. Uh, you can you there's links that could redirect you to Vimeo after, but I choose to keep people on my page. So okay, the okay. less bouncing around people have to do, easier it is for them to just focus yeah. on like what they need to focus. And when on, I so. when I went to your page, man, when I was doing research to try to mm-hmm. um for the podcast, 
Um, you had a lot of videos on there, man. A lot yeah, of variety you. of stuff. It was very interesting. A lot of sports stuff. Yeah, yeah I, try, I try to, so, to get some new stuff up every now and then. Do you put all your work up there or just uh, like projects that you find are the most, um, I don't know, you like the most and you just put those up there? Uh, you know what? I, I have to say it really depends. Mm-hmm. It really, like I'm... I'm I'm a very superstitious, conscientious, whatever word you want to use to describe <laughs> me. I have the most strategic with everything. Mm-hmm. Not in a way that it always matters the most, but it matters most to me. Right, right. So for me, on my on my website, you might only see three or four different categories of videos. Well, surprise, that's what I'm trying to focus on selling uh, the makes most. Sense. Makes sense. Now, I could have some other videos that go out sky to that scope. But the thing for me is I may not be looking to sell it. If I get approached mm-hmm. about it, mm-hmm. I may do it, but it's it's per case. Okay. You know, I like I may not do many music videos. I might turn down most, but mm-hmm. if the project seems right for me, I'll mm-hmm. do it. I might not post about it on my website. Mm-hmm. Not to say that the video isn't good enough, but I my theory is that if you post it, people are going to start to assume that, that this you're is a what music you do. video producer. Yeah. And if I don't mm-hmm. want to do that, I mm-hmm. won't post it. And it's no, like I said, no offense to any music artists ever work with. I'll, <laughs> I'll share stuff. I'll be sharing things in between, but if I don't want to attract too much of it, that's part of the reason why I don't post yeah. it. So if I've taken on the project that they asked me about, that's a good sign. Right. But right. I would just hope they'd never get offended of why I don't post their thing. And it's just, it's just me understanding the psychology of, trying to market myself. Right, right. If I post a lot of music video stuff, okay, I'm going to attract music artists. If I post right. a lot of food stuff, cooks and, you know, Chefs food brands yeah, are going to yeah, hit yeah. me up. If I post sports stuff, surprise, supports, sports brands and teams will hit me up and say, we want to work with you. So, right, right, right. So when it comes to, um, I, I know there's a big important part of the business is, is the clients, mm-hmm. right? So, um, how do you go about deciding which clients to take on and which clients to be like, you know what, this ain't the right time for us to be working together? Uh, it depends. There's, it's, uh, it's a lot of different factors. Um, one important one is budget. (laughs) (laughs) But budget's one. Um, does it align with what I want to be doing? Mm -hmm. You know, especially if it's going to take a lot of time to plan it, Mm -hmm. film it, edit it. I'm like, Hey, I'm blocking off this much time to be able to do this with mm-hmm. them. Does that take away from my time to do other projects? Um, the relationship, like, yeah, is there going to be a long-term relationship? It's like, yes, this project may not pay as much this first time around, but will I, will they, will they honor the fact that they can pay me more in the future mm-hmm. and follow through in it? And if I don't feel like the trust is there, if I don't feel like it's something I want to see myself doing long term, I just won't do it. Right. Um, right. From time to time, there are certain things that I I may go against the grain and maybe work underneath what I would normally charge for it. But that's generally because I really, really want to do it. And let's say I'm moving really on track with my sales targets and I'm telling mm-hmm. myself, hey, like I'm pacing really well this month. This shoot is a little bit less than what mm-hmm. I normally charge, but I'm going to have fun doing it. So why not mm-hmm. do it? Those are the cases I would let those kind of things slide. But from time to time, like I'll, get really open with saying no just because I don't want to waste my time yeah. or theirs. Do you have like a clientele um, choosing process? Obviously you said budget is one of those things, but mm-hmm. like I think about even for me, right, when I do the podcast, 
right? Like it's very first of all, like you said, the relationship, the long term relationship thing, yeah, is is very important. I mean, me and you have known each other for like a few years, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And it just the podcast just became something that happened, yeah, right. Um, but for me, it's like long term relationship mm-hmm. with people, and one I have to meet with you a couple of times before I even decide. Yeah. I mean, because some because you can vibe with somebody when you first meet them. Yeah. Right. And then you can go out with them and be like, mm, mm. that vibe is not there no more. Yeah, you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? So for me, because my whole ideology for the podcast is authenticity. Yeah. Right. And, and rapport building and comfortability. Mm-hmm. So like if I go, if I met you at an event or wherever I might meet you, yeah, you know, and I think we vibe and then I'm be like, yo, let's get coffee or drinks or whatever. Let's talk. Mm-hmm. And then if I meet up with you, and then we don't vibe, then first of all, I don't even want to develop a relationship with yeah. you at, at all. Yeah. You know? And then you definitely ain't going to be on the podcast. Yeah, no, that's you fair. Know? So do you have that same process? Like, okay, budget is one. Okay, do I even like this person? Do I even, do I think they, do they give a good vibe for me to even do client work? Do you get, you ever get like very demanding Clients that like want, yes. (laughs) I I get some that the minute we're done filming, we're not even done filming. So when am I going to get this this first draft? I'm like, I haven't even finished it and stop on the record button right now. I'm I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, this is going to be insane. I have had those. I've had them more so in my earlier days starting than I do now. Not that I'm anywhere really past my early days. I'm still in year two, but uh, year two of running my business. But I would say... I kind of, uh, I take some time to set the expectations early to avoid that. Like if I know that they want something really quickly turned around after filming, that's cool. I set the expectations early while and then after so that I don't feel like they're bombarding me with questions on where it's going to be. If I feel like they want it too soon and their budget doesn't align with their timeline, Mm -hmm. like if, if somebody films something with me today than they want it tomorrow but they're paying me a fraction of what i'm normally paying yeah i'm telling them two things either a it's not going to get done that quick Mm -hmm. or b realistically like you gotta up the budget yeah either up the budget (laughs) or i could just you know let you be able to you know openly work with someone else and there's no there's no Mm -hmm. harm done Mm -hmm. but i think for me just being able to have that conversation early and setting the tone for the most part, it's helped me avoid the idea of running into those types of clients. Right. Now, from time to time, those people may catch you by surprise. Mm-hmm. But I think it's about how you manage those expectations when that stuff happens. Because right. a lot of people, they're going to want, you know, there's there's a lot of people that are going to want to take advantage of you. There's a lot of people that are going to want to ask you for more than what you agreed on. They're going to want the raw footage. They're going to want <laughs> right. all these things. And you're just sitting there and you're like, hey, we didn't, open a conversation like this from the jump. They just thought that because the work started to develop, that we developed a good working relationship where they mm-hmm. can start asking for more than they're giving. And so I just try to hold it to where it is early and right, put a halt right. on it. Cause I think the minute you give someone an inch and they take a mile, they're, yeah, run, they're yeah. running a Terra Fox marathon. Yeah. You know? <laughs> they will go across the country, dragging you in the dirt, asking you like, yeah. Hey, like, 
can I get this extra? Can I get this? And you're, you find yourself mm-hmm. in that spot where you're like, you gotta like really set it. And you know, from time to time, you got to remind yourself, do the little things in between right. as well with right. doing that. Send an email. Like if things change, send an email to confirm yeah, it. That's true. You don't that's send true. an email. I learned this multiple times in my life. If you do not send an email, it didn't happen. You can right. have a phone conversation. Right. People could agree. You could ask and like, be like, wow, you're so right. Then a week later that can come back and yeah. bite you in your butt. And, and you know what? It's funny you talk about that because that was something I mentioned to you earlier why I write outlines mm-hmm. for my podcast. Yeah. For that very reason, exactly. It's like, oh, you didn't say we was going to be talking about these things on the podcast. I know, right? Yeah, yeah, I did. It's in, it's in the outline. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I yeah. put it there as a, as a basis for you to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, but how long did it take you to perfect that process? Oh, uh, years, years to, yeah. to practice it. And, and, and credit to, you know, a good friend of mine, Alex Anthony, he really gave me a good structure that mm-hmm. worked um, when we initially started doing work together. And I think from there, I've kind of been able to take that structure and put my own twist to it and look at the different clients I wanted to focus on and how can I make it a bit of an easier conversation, not feel like 21 questions. Right, right, right. Uh, so it did take me about a year, maybe just under a year to perfect it. But now I feel like when I jump on a call with a client, like I'm excited. I want to hear everything they want to say. I want to mm-hmm. be able to figure out how we can get them point A to point B. I want them to have almost no idea what they want. And for me to be mm-hmm. able to help them paint the picture in their mind and then us be able to find that middle ground where we can make it work. They're excited. Right. I go out there and film. We get it done. It's super breezy. They get right. the, the the end product. They're happy. And they're like, wow, I want to work with him again. Yeah, yeah, even yeah, when they don't good. even need a video yet, but they yeah. want to work with me again. That feeling to me yeah, that's a great is super feeling. important, right? Yeah. So so um, how long, let me just look at my list room. Yeah, no um, How long can a project last? And what's the longest project you worked on? Uh, I think it depends on the the type of project. I mean, I've done a docuseries project where, you know, we were filming it for about two to four weeks, uh, two weeks straight for one of them. That that was, that was probably one of the craziest projects I had ever done. And probably also one of the most rewarding, Mm -hmm. fulfilling Mm it. It was, I almost felt like every type of emotion. It was crazy. (laughs) Like we, it it was, it was really, really exciting. It was something that I had never done before where, mm. you know, I, actually I, I've had days in my life where I had to work consecutive days straight, mm. long hour mm. days. But I just think that this was a different type of grind because you had to be mentally focused on everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were filming a docu-series project and this was uh, through Q Media Solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Jamil Giovanni, shout out to Sam Gamper. Those are the two people I worked on the project with. Okay. And so we initially flew out to British Columbia And we had set up interviews with all these different groups um, from within the city. And whether it was like a boys and girls club or, Mm -hmm. you know, it was different community organizations that were focused on youth mentorship. And we would do about three to four interviews a day. Mm -hmm. Now, when I say three to four interviews, it wasn't just, you know, one on one, you know, in a few minutes. It was like 20, 30 minute interviews. But sometimes we'd have four people interview. Sometimes we'd have three, sometimes we have one. And, you know, we only have so much gear that we can lug around back and forth. So picture two people working it, one interviewer who is the focus, being able to conduct it. And we had to figure out, okay, we have two lavalier mics. How can we be able to, you know, get this person to sit beside them so they could be able to hear it. Right. And then how can we use this boom mic while we have the other camera set up? How can we monitor that camera while operating the boom? And it really taught me uh, how to 
essentially how to do well at troubleshooting. Yeah, yeah. And and being able to look at a situation and say, how can we make it work? We don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing when right, things like these right. happen, but we just want to get in and out. Because sometimes you only have half an hour with someone. Mm-hmm. How can we do it? And so I think that was a project that was exciting because we did maybe about four or five interviews of a day and we did that for maybe about a week straight in Vancouver. Wow. Then we did another week of that in Calgary. And so you think we worked every single day straight, woke up at like 7 or 8 a.m. And then eventually finished our nights by like 9 or 10, sometimes wow. even later. Wow. So the whole day doing interviews, like yeah. set up, tear down, drive across town, set up, tear down, wow. meet, shake about 100 hands. Like, I, I think I got six <laughs> so many times that trip from shaking hands. I mean, I love everybody I met because right. we heard some really, really great stories. Yeah. But I just found that, like, um, for me, that was one of the longest projects I ever worked on because uh, we even came back to Toronto after that and closed that chapter off. Wow. Where we did about a week straight where we were still interviewing different groups. And so uh, I think that was probably a project that was more uh, longer than anything I'd ever done, but it was very exciting and it taught me more about um, filmmaking than what I'd learned from before. It also gave me a better introduction into uh, documentary type work and, and, and figuring out ways to drive narratives and get people to draw emotion when they talk. So I found that was a really, really good example of like a really long winded project. Is, um, when you do a doc series, when you're doing, um, filming that is it different than when you were filming like a um like fiction or something like a short story for example like when i took um one of the classes i had to take was um introduction to film production okay and at the end we did a short film as a whole class and i didn't realize let me be honest with you the process is boring like like it's literally like set up shoot a scene for 30 seconds okay break it down or do the scene a couple of times okay mm-hmm. let's get it and then one of the issues we had you come across troubleshooting is very important in film mm-hmm. one of the issues was we got an outside scene but it's during the daytime but it's night and the sun's going down can we get this shot mm-hmm. the way we want it before the sun goes down yeah, you know you what I mean it, yeah so is it when you're doing a docu series? Is it a lot of like just turn on the camera and like rolling and going through it, or do you like record, stop, record, stop, record, stop? Well, it was uh, it was like what you said. We had to troubleshoot a lot because certain rooms we went into they didn't really have the lighting, a lot of lighting. Yeah, but then they also sometimes weren't big rooms, mm. so we want to set up the lighting. We're like, can you see the light? Mm-hmm. in the camera right. the camera image so we're like okay if the light is here how can we position it differently to still expose your skin tones properly mm-hmm. to be able to achieve the look and i think with something like that like um like we we had to really think strategically uh but we we worked around a lot of those different uh problems i think what was great is a lot of the interviews we did were during the day so we had a lot of natural light right, that we can use right. as you know a key light then we just fill the other side that maybe got some shadow casted on it. And so what what a lot of it became for us was being able to walk in a room and say, this is going to work or this mm-hmm. is not going to work. Mm-hmm. And if it's not going to work, how can we at least salvage something of it to be able to, <clears throat> even if it's short, get something quality out of right. it. But for the most part, we made almost every interview work. Okay. Whether it meant that we had to relocate to a different room okay. or we needed to like shift the camera a certain mm-hmm. way. And mm-hmm. we, but we, I feel like we've done it all 
Yeah. So with a docu series, is there a script or is it just interview questions that you just you just ask and then record and, and set up and stuff? So I mean, um, with this this like every every series could be different mm-hmm. in itself, but for this one specifically, like there was a focus in trying to tell the story of uh, different cities within Canada and how they all correlate or how they all differ. And so a city like Toronto and how they handle youth and youth that are going through, um, you know, gang violence or or bad influences is much different than Vancouver. But at the same time, there are some similarities. And so us trying to be able to draw the narratives to to align those similarities and, and, and show people, hey, like, as much as Vancouver may be different than Toronto lifestyle wise, here's how we can align and just be able to look at each other and say, Hey, you do that one thing and it really works. Right. And at the same time we do something that works that may help you and, and finding a way to bridge that gap. And so that's what I think majority of the goal with this project was to bridge the gap, to tell the Mm -hmm. stories, to really spotlight, you know, community heroes that I think don't really get much recognition, Mm -hmm. but are doing a lot lot of of big things that, to be honest, a lot of people don't see in the news. Yeah. And so youth that are just steering away from trouble or um, just different people who have gone through stuff that turn their life around that are dedicating their lives mm-hmm. towards helping others. It's like being able to tell the stories can inspire other people who may want to do the same. And so that's where the wheels kept turning with it. And um, we didn't just stick to just asking questions. We figured out, okay, how can we be able to capture things in their environment and intertwine that into the story as well. You know, it just reminds me, um, I don't know why it made me think of this, but um, is it um, Brookfield Place? Yeah. Um, The building? Yeah, downtown. Downtown? They had this um, art exhibit Mm -hmm. going on. It was like, um, I don't remember exactly, but it was like showing a a community in Brazil Yeah. and then showing um, a community in Toronto. Okay. And showing the similarities between the two cities. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Brazil and Toronto are completely polar opposites in the cities yeah. as far as city dynamics. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there are definitely some similarities. Yeah. And that's what makes me think about with this project that you worked on is Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto. They're all different cities. Mm-hmm. They have different, and they have different issues, but they have similarities mm-hmm. in those issues. But which one of those was your favorite city to shoot in, man? Um, that's don't, a tough don't one. Don't say Toronto. No, I, well, I mean, I've, I've already, I can't give Toronto that answer right away just because, like, I, I've already filmed there in the past. But I would say it was kind of interesting to hear about Vancouver. Yeah, it was interesting for me because a city like Vancouver, I'd I'd lived there three years prior to that. Okay. Um, so I kind of, I I went in with a different assumption for Vancouver. And me personally living in Vancouver at the time, like people used to always talk about gang violence and this and that mm-hmm. and, 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 and and shootings. And for me, I only saw, you know, the the nicer right. parts right. of that. And it's not just because I lived in a nicer part. I just didn't watch the news. I never really heard people yeah. talk about it. Yeah. I'd never seen any yellow tape out in Vancouver. Yeah. I barely saw anything like bad happening there. So yeah. for me, I just kind of assumed that Vancouver is a lot more of a safer city. And I think being able to hear the stories and understand a bit more and see how people were making the impact in the communities that they, they lived and worked in. I think that really, it really gave me different perspective than what I knew before. And so it actually kind of made me reflect on 
how we make first impressions or how mm -hmm. we make judgments and we think we know something when we really don't know and mm -hmm. hearing some people's stories about things that happen and mm -hmm. a lot of weird things were happening to there where one of the interview rooms we did was in this hotel um right along the waterfront there in, in, in downtown vancouver and it's weird because i was just thinking i was like wow like this is kind of like a weird space that if anything were to happen like you don't really have somewhere you know, to run right and it was like a weird thought that ran through my head but i just didn't say anything about it to anybody because right. i was like who thinks about this yeah. and as after that was said we we did an interview um with someone who had been involved with gang violence in the past, turned his life mm -hmm. around, mm -hmm. really dedicated his life to helping kids. And this, this guy had mentioned, Hey, like, you know, while the Vancouver Olympic school were going on, this whole room was actually shot up with wow. like a machine gun. So people were in here and, and died. And like, it's like, I was thinking like something happened. You don't really have nowhere to run. Cause the wow. water's right there. You're in this room. It's full of glass and that's facing the street side. And so when I heard that, like it gave me perspective, like, we may not think those things happen, but they yeah. happen. And yeah, they happen yeah. when it's busy too. People wouldn't think things yeah. like that would happen during the Olympics, but it did. And so like, yeah. I was like, wow, I can't take Vancouver, you yeah. know, lightly because they, they're just as we are. They just, they, their gang violence may just look different than our gang yeah. violence, you know? Yeah. It's a man perspective definitely gives like, it's always good to get different perspectives on different things. Yeah. And um, for me, as you know, I don't think, I don't know if I, I have told you this before, but I'm not from Toronto. Yeah. I'm not from Toronto. I'm not, I'm from Detroit. Yeah. I'm sure people could tell by now from the accent. The accent, you know? man, yeah. it's like, it's yeah. the best thing I got going for me. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like the number one skill of mine. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes when I hear accent, it kind of, it kind of makes me feel warm inside. Cause I'm like, I kinda, I'm like, I like Redmond's accent, you know, I, you know, you told me Detroit, I could have thought you were like Southern or something. You, you know, know, I get that all the time. You know, yeah. I remember, no, I'm digressing, but I remember I was in a, um, Nando's. Yeah. I was in Nando's. And this was like probably the first year I was, I moved here. Yeah. And this girl that worked there was like, oh, you from, you from the South? And I was like, no, no, I'm not. I mean, then, then I was like South of the Toronto. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? And then she was like, you're not from the South? I'm like, no, I'm not from the South. And then she was like, well. I like Southern accents. I was like, well, girl, I'm from as far south. You, want me to be <laughs> you point where I'm south, I would you, tell you, you I'm you, from there. You, you know? pick a state and All I right. will be from there. You know? But it's funny because I didn't realize that I had, um, like, I didn't realize my accent sounds Southern. You know what I mean? And if you, if you meet people from where I'm from, or if you yeah. meet people from the south, mm -hmm. they wouldn't say that my accent oh, was yeah, Southern. Probably not. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, it's funny because um, uh, everybody notices it when I when I meet people. Mm -hmm. Everybody, it's the first thing. Yeah, they say like, "Where are you from?" Like, mm -hmm. you can't be from America and live in Toronto yeah. or something, you know. But uh, back to the perspective thing. Uh, one thing I found interesting living in Detroit. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Detroit. I grew up on the east side of Detroit. Went to university there, and then I moved to Toronto. And then I remember. For some reason, I don't know why, I was like, where is the hood in Toronto? Because <laughs> my experience coming to Toronto, because I used to come, my grandmother lived there. I come mm -hmm. every summer. So, like, I was always exposed to the very nice areas, the very mm -hmm. cultured areas, you know, like the Kensington Markets, the St. Lawrence Markets, the places that are very, very beautiful and nice, you know. So, 
I want I was just curious for some reason like where what is considered to be mm-hmm. um the hood in Toronto because I just find Toronto neighborhoods to be very nice. And then somebody told me stay away from Jane and Finch. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, where's mind you, I didn't even know I was like, where's Jane and Finch? Like yeah. where you couldn't where, even point it out. I, yeah. Yeah, I didn't even know where it is. What direction is that? Yeah. Is that the east end or the west yeah. end? I don't know. And they're like Jane and Finch. And so I avoided it for the longest. Mm-hmm. And then, not on purpose, just because Jane and Finch is actually quite far. It's not close. Yeah. <laughs> from where I it's live. It's not close to, to most things. Yeah, so I was like, I, it's just far. I'm not going to go to Jane and Finch for mm-hmm. no reason, right? And so then, um, I had a friend that I was going to visit, and she lived in the Jane and Finch area. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, I was like, mm, I don't know if I can make it out there. Mm-hmm. That's too far, you know? But then I went out there, and when I got there... And I was like, yo, Jane, this is the hood? I was like, this shit is nice. <laughs> I was Especially like, coming from Detroit. You've probably seen it all, you know? Yeah, I, coming from, bro, I when I grew up in Detroit. Where'd you grow up in? I, I grew up on a street called Outer Drive. Okay. I, I lived on a few streets, but one of them was called East Outer Drive. And um, I lived between two abandoned houses. One one side was an abandoned house, and the other side was abandoned house. And you know, actually, the other crazy thing, I lived in another neighborhood um, by Chalmers Street. You can, People can Google that later and figure out where that's at. Yeah. So, like, this area of where I lived in Detroit was a block from another city called Gross Point. And you would cross the street, and it would look totally different. Wow. It would look completely different. Wow. And it would always blow my mind that, like, you went from like broken down houses to like grass not being cut to like wow. crappy street roads and all of this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Literally, you across the block over, it's a nice neighborhood, nice everything park, like, benches, yeah. uh, businesses, and everything. Mm-hmm. So that was always a crazy dynamic for me. And I know I digressed a little bit. The other thing about you said something about first impressions, and I got a theory on this. I think first impressions are some of the biggest BS mm-hmm. there is to ever. Like we we focus on first impressions, and it's it's important. First impressions will get you the job, but I feel like we've all had that experience where like first impression is like dope, and then you get to know them, you're like, mm, it's true, nah, it's you know true. What it's I mean? not always everything, you know. No, so I feel like we hold too much weight on the first impressions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even with jobs, man. Like even there have been. People that have been hired for jobs that it was like, oh, they seem so great. Mm-hmm. I remember an old boss of mine I thought was so amazing. Man, I hated this guy after he got the job. Because <laughs> oh, I was a part, like, at that time they had, like, students be a part of the, the interview process. Yeah. So I interviewed him. I was like, oh, man, he seems so humble. We showed him the room. He was like, I've lived in smaller. I was like, oh, he humble. Yo, he was an asshole after that. Yeah, man. I don't after know he got that. the job, you know. I've seen those situations. It's uh it's it's cause it really what people have to remember is you you are still selling yourself until you get in. Exactly. And when people get in is when they show the true character, right? Yeah, it's true. But I always try to like for my I guess it's different for other people, but for me I like to uh show my true self. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I also understand that your true self doesn't always have the best parts. Like sometimes you don't always display the best parts of yourself. And I've had that experience where maybe I said something that I probably shouldn't have had, shouldn't mm-hmm. have said. Yeah. And then later on, I'm like, oh, that's why she hate me. Yeah, that's why yeah, they don't. Yeah. 
makes sense, you know? So let's go back to the film, man. So you got your own film business. You're doing mm-hmm. things. You mostly focus on trying to do sports types of um, collaborations. Yeah. Um, but having your own film business, what do you find is the most challenging aspect of running your own business? And how do you usually handle those challenges, man? Uh, most challenging part, I'm not going to lie. I'll say two things. First thing is um, being as strict as possible with my day-to-day task Mm -hmm. because I find it's very easy to get straight off when things pop up. Mm -hmm. I could tell myself I'm going to dedicate the first four hours of this workday to editing and a client pops up and they're like, I need a video. I need to do this. I need to do that. And you're like, you want to just get their stuff done. Mm -hmm. Wipe your hands clean as soon as possible. Being disciplined enough to be able to say, I will get back to you after X time because I'm busy right now. Mm-hmm. And being able to find that fine line between being able to um, respectfully push it off, but then also like get that work done right. in time right. to make sure that you can do that. So it's holding yourself accountable really in right. the mix too. Right. But for me, one of the more challenging things I think for me and my business, and it's, it's a funny uh, double-edged sword because I can talk, you know, branding and how I can help someone tell their story and really shape it up. When it comes to myself, it's almost like I put myself in the back seat, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a mm-hmm. weird challenge where I've, I've, I think for maybe about a year now, I've wanted to in, in capture this type of story for myself. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm having trouble finding that narrative fully through. And I want to be able to do that so that when people want to buy into me and, and understand me, they can be able to watch this and, and it has a bit about me and what I do almost like a, like, like a, a video business card. Mm-hmm, right, and right. I feel like I've done a lot of these for other businesses, but mm-hmm. the challenging part is why do I feel uh, slow with doing it for myself? Right. So I'm almost challenged with like not putting as much work with marketing myself because I think I know that I sell myself better with face to face sales or uh, through referrals or meeting people um in person as well too like i generally do pretty well Mm -hmm. with all of that so i feel as if i've kind of put myself on the back burner for how i want to market myself where in the end i kind of look at it and i think this is very important it's it's hard for me to analyze those numbers right now so that's probably part of why i haven't felt like i've been hit by not doing Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. but i think that it's definitely put my growth at a halt to a certain degree but i'm still successful with what I do. Right. But if I want to take my business to the next level, that's what I need to do. Right. You, know? you think, um, like, cause it's just you, right? It's just you handling all aspects of the business, right? Yeah. Well, for the most part, like I'll generally be handling the business mm-hmm. for the majority of the work. And right. from time to time, when the client budgets open up to bigger, mm-hmm. I'll subcontract, um, okay, some okay. other people who I know also are within the industry. So this depends on the scope of the project, but generally day to day, it is just me. So would you be looking to like find somebody else to, depending on how many more projects you start to get, the work starts coming in constantly, would you be looking at like, you know what, now I'm getting a lot of work. I can't do all this work by myself. I need to have somebody part-time or like an intern or something to like be able to turn around this, this content, this, this content. Uh, I would be open to that. I uh, I think I've, t- I've chosen to take my time with it. I got you. But I would yeah. be open to it. But I think the the more challenging part is finding the right person that aligns. Because right. I know there's a ton of people that I could work with mm-hmm. doing that. 
but like, are we both aligning in terms of where we're at and where we want to be? Right. Then also the breakdown of the work. Are we going to split it how we would like to split it? Or somebody going to not be happy? If someone's going to not be happy, I know it's not worth everyone's time and energy. We're right. better off just like waiting to find the better person or pursuing and searching for that. But I think for me generally, that's where I felt like as well, if I want to kick it to another level, it may mean it may mean that I need to partner with somebody, somebody else, else. Right. but I, I need to find the person who is the right fit. Maybe it's Makes not sense. just one other person. Maybe it's two or three. Makes sense. And yeah. I've had friends that we've talked about the idea of that, but like, um, I find if everybody isn't as enthusiastic about it, that's also a sign that if we were to initiate it, but only a few people end up doing more work than the others, 80, yeah. 20 rule will burn you out in an industry exactly. like true, this. So, true. True. So when you do videos, like uh, this might be a crazy question. You know, you know how um, a lot of filmmakers they have like a signature for something mm -hmm. they do to to like sign off that work. Maybe it's an editing style. Maybe mm -hmm. do you have? Do you feel like you have some type of signature with the work? Like you look at it and people, well, for yourself, you'll know like, oh yeah, that was some work that I did, or or not. Nah, you just kind of do the work and go with. Uh, you know what? I feel like more in the past, I had a bit of a, a, a style or a look that really when people watch it, they, they knew it was me. For me nowadays, I'm not looking as much to stylistically hold myself firm to one look per se, mm -hmm. but be a bit more of a chameleon, but partly just because certain clients needs and looks may be different than others. But, um, I think if I'm doing like event recaps or stuff with sports, it'll have a certain look and feel. Mm -hmm. Um, but everything else, it can kind of be open just because, um, I think in general, like certain styles, like a corporate talking head video mm -hmm. is going to look the same eight out of 10 times unless right, they just right. don't light it properly. Then that's just, <laughs> that's just a bad Cause concept. it's a corporate, yeah, yeah, it's kind of yeah. got the same formula, right? It's got exactly. the same formula and you just... You just shoot, bam, and then go, you know, whatever yeah. that is. Okay. How many projects do you usually are you usually balancing at one time? Uh I would say in like a month, I'm probably balancing anywhere from like ten to fifteen projects. Wow. It could it could vary on the month too, right? Because right. there could be a lot more demand in certain than others. But I would say about ten to fifteen is about my my reasonable middle point because they need to account for the shooting, right. the editing, and also even the pre-planning before. Right, right. So if you look at it, it's about a day or two per project. So okay. I think it usually balances itself out considering I'm one person. Right? Have you ever had come across a project that you wanted to do um, but couldn't do because you had so many other projects you were already working on or you were like, or even a project that you couldn't just take on, you couldn't take on just because... I don't have the time to take on these projects. Have you had to turn down projects? I, I have. And you know what? I'm not going to lie. It's it's very challenging in those moments because, and, and this is why I always tell people, like, make sure when you charge appropriate rate for your work, it reflects the fact that you may turn down other work you may not be able to do. And so sometimes clients, I'll, I'll tell them the pricing for my work and they'll say, wow, like, I didn't think it'd be that much. And I'm like, well, if I'm doing work with you, you know, not to say I don't want to be there, mm -hmm. but if another project were to come up and I also want to do it, I need to make sure that A, if that other client was going to pay more mm -hmm. or the same amount, I'm not losing by taking this on with you. Right, right. At the same time too, like I need to 
just be sure about it and I'm not cutting my my ends too short. I don't want mm-hmm. to take on a project that's going to be, you know, all fun and games and, and nothing for me at all. Then I turn on something that means a lot to me that mm-hmm. can financially put me in a better spot. And then all of a sudden I'm in this torn spot where I already made the commitment and I don't want to back out of it because in a business mm-hmm. like this, you know, your, your, your word is your everything. Right. And right. so that's where I think making those decisions and, and really reassuring and educating people yeah. on why yeah. it's important can go a long way. It just, that's, I think for a lot of people, the challenging part is being able to portray that message without feeling like they are coming off aggressive right. um, is the tougher part in that. But I, I have had to turn those down and it's, it's challenging, but um, things for myself, I remind uh, myself daily of is that if this is happening right now where I'm at with my career, there's always going to be more coming around. That's true. That's you know, true. I was, I was in England um, while the NBA finals were going on, I actually got credentials to be able to cover oh. the NBA finals. And for someone like me, like, wow, I wouldn't have ever thought something like that would ever right, happen right. years back. I never thought I'd be able to get to that level, but I have to remind myself that, you know, if I've been able to manifest something like that to this point, if I've been able to work myself to this point where I can get that, there will be more in the future. Oh. And even though, you know, I already had that trip plan and I had to turn away the work, there'll be more. Right, if it's right. not in Toronto, it's somewhere else. I mean, but knock on wood, it's in Toronto yeah. again. But, <laughs> but if it's not in Toronto, it'll be somewhere else. And I yeah. can't be mad at someone else. I can't be mad at myself. I can't go to my family and be like, you know, I wish I didn't take this trip with you guys. No, I have to <laughs> yeah. I have to embrace things for what they right. are. I respect it. Right. And then tell myself, okay, I know you're not happy you had to turn this away, but yeah. more good things will come your way yeah. down the line. Just keep working at the same pace, even not, if not harder than you were working before, and those things will align. Yeah, man, you've been everywhere. I'm trying. Even in Vancouver, you know. I'm trying. That's trying. one thing I love about Torontonians mm-hmm. is y'all travel everywhere, man. I try I, my best. I've never been anywhere. Really? Except for this year, I went to Mexico. Okay, but you, you said you went to Halifax, though, right? So I just went to Halifax. That was just recently. That was last yeah, month. Yeah, yeah. I went to Halifax. So, so you know what? 2019, I've probably traveled the most I've ever traveled, so traveled in my two life. places. Because I've been to, uh, I flew to Calgary this year. Oh, nice. Um, okay. And then I went to Banff. Okay. Um, And then in February, I went to Mexico mm. and Tulum and all wow. stuff like that. And then I flew to, well, I've been to New Brunswick because I flew to New Brunswick. Wow. Which is like you fly to New Brunswick, it's like landing in somebody's backyard. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's like there's like not really an airport. It's like yeah. not it's like one tenth of an airport in yeah. New Brunswick. Um and then I was in um Nova Scotia, which was a great trip, man. Mm-hmm. To like uh, to sidetrack from um the film talk talk. Um so I um so my family, a little bit of history about me, my family um, the Canadian side are descendants of the Black Loyalist mm-hmm. from Nova Scotia. Yeah. So I had to fly. I flew to New Brunswick. Then I had to take a ferry mm-hmm. from New Brunswick to Nova Scotia, and still had to drive. From, oh no! <laughs> from from I think it was Digby, Nova Scotia. While I was riding, I met my aunt there, yeah. and 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 took a trip to. Um, we went to Yarmouth. Wow. Which is where our family, like. Your family. Is My from. family is from. Yeah. And then we went down to the Black Loyalist Museum. Wow. Which was a eye-opening experience mm-hmm. for me. I actually posted a lot of pictures um on my Instagram. And I don't even post that much yeah. that much. But it was interesting to learn about what happened because I thought 
my, I don't know where I got this from, but I thought um, black loyalists or loyalists in general, British loyalists were like British slaves that went down, that were brought down to, yeah, you know, North America, Canada, whatever Canada was at that time. And then ended up just leaving them there because it wasn't a lot of like profitable work to be done. Yeah. But come to find out what I learned was um, black loyalists were actually slave American slaves that came to fight in the war with the mm. British. And in exchange, they would get freedom and, and wow. the land. Well, what happened is the British lost. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, yeah. which the British didn't think they were going to lose. Yeah. And so when it came to give out land, well, they had the white loyalists, you know, and then it kind of, they gave it by rank. And then by the mm -hmm. time he got to, um, obviously the black loyalists, there wasn't a lot of land to give. So they kind of all ended up in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. Yeah. So I went there, but I can tell you it's a place I will only go once. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> because just specifically Yarmouth, though, because I, just I went specifically to, Yarmouth. I went to Nova Scotia this summer and I thought it was beautiful. Shout out to Nova Scotia. You guys got some great food. Great uh, no, great agriculture. You know, I didn't have you know? any good was you had a lot of seafood while you was there? A lot of seafood. I did not have I had some seafood, but it, I didn't think it was really? that great. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy, right? You might like, have been having some better seafood. Than that. You got to tell me where you're getting your seafood from. So day. I went to, like, I went to this one place. Um, I don't even remember the name of it. It was somewhere, like, not, like, 30 minutes from the music. I can't even remember, like, the small towns that it was in. But it was, it was, um, I was trying to be healthy, but I knew I wanted some seafood. Yeah. But um, and we got to the restaurant and they were like, everything we do is fried. <laughs> wow. Okay. So yeah. I had some, um, I think I had some fish and some um, scallops. Ooh, um, fried wow. scallops. Love fried scallops, yeah. yo. Pan, um, you know what? Pan fried scallops are really good. I don't know how I feel about deep fried scallops. You you never had deep, have you ever had deep fried scallops? I had a deep fried scallop, but I'm not going to lie. I preferred the pan fried one, like you, almost like it's almost like pan seared. You flip it both ways. I know ways, what you're talking about. Put yeah, the bacon around the outside. What 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 do you like about the pan seared outside of the fried? Outside, obviously, it's probably a little bit healthier. Yeah, well, not even necessarily just the healthier product because like I I ate some deep fried fish do that. So <laughs> I mean, um, for me, I think it's just the the texture of it. Like I think just being mm. able to taste the freshness in it. Whereas I think. When I put it in the fryer, or I guess when I've tried it in the fryer from the restaurants, it's it, it was more crispy because it's breaded. It's breaded, of course, but like mm. the actual original taste of the scalp wasn't there as much as I think it just like dried it up a little bit. You know. You know what? Now that you mentioning it, I agree with you. It's right. You're right. It it's more. I don't know if it's you. It's a different it, consistency. Yeah, you it's know? a different consistency, but it tastes. I this is gonna sound, I guess, kind of crazy, but. It tastes more like it's just something that's fried. Yeah. As opposed to like it tastes like the actual meat you eat. Yes. You're right. Yeah. I agree with you on that. Mm -hmm. But I've never really only reason I don't have anything to compare it to is I've never really had pan seared scallops. No, that's oh, okay. not true. I was at the keg the other day and I had some pan seared scallops. See? How was it? Yeah, um Because I've never rubbing. tried it at the keg, so I can't even be like well, what do you the keg was the only place I've been that did it, to be honest with you. Wow. Um, I feel like most seafood, like most restaurants, when they do seafood, it's like calamari. 
Yeah. Or it's like fish and chips. Calamari's hit or miss some places too. It's definitely yeah. hit or miss. Yeah. Um, but the, they were all right. They they um they what they do is they um they pan sear they wrap it and bake it and they put it on like a metal skewer. Yeah. And then they give you some type of um, I want to say it's cocktail sauce. Yeah. Or something. So I would say um, you're right from that experience. It's just you definitely get more flavor of the scallop yeah. from it being pan seared. Yeah. Than you do from it being um fried. Yeah. So I would agree with you on that. But it's back to film, man. We need to talk about yeah. yo, food is an important part of my life. Hey man, man. I'm thinking about food when I'm not thinking about film. <laughs> exactly. And my girlfriend. I, I love my girlfriend, but I don't I don't want her to get mad at me. She listens to this. I love you too, baby. Okay? All right. Don't get mad at me now. And my family. Oh shoot. Yo, you know, yo, look what you did to me you now. Oh to, no. You just gonna have to oh, like no. shout out the whole yeah. Toronto. But like anybody I'd missed, you know, yeah. you too, you too. Yeah, you yeah know. definitely. So uh, let's get back to the film, man. Any new projects you um, taking on that people should be looking out for? Uh, it's funny because right before I came here, I was uh, just filming something for for Reebok, and so wow, I know they're they're doing a really big push right now with the rebrand and whatnot. So that was kind of exciting. Um, recently did some music stuff. Um, may potentially be doing um, a bit more on the tourism okay. side and, okay. and doing some sports. Sports is around the corner, so I'm feeling like that's going to open up a lot. I've, I've already had some people inquire about stuff and we're you know, hashing out the last bit of things, but that's, that's generally it for the most part. Hopefully getting back into some storytelling mm-hmm. uh, pieces mm-hmm. as well too because I think with sports coming around, it gives me a bit of a vehicle to be able to do it that I really enjoy, and so... We'll see. Uh, we'll see how the negotiation talks between the different clients work out. But generally, that'll be the scope in the next little bit, and and of course, from time to time, some event stuff. But um, I'm really just shaping into working more and more with brands and figuring out, you know, how can we tell the story about what they're looking to do and how they want to portray themselves to the consumer markets. Right. And so right. we'll see. Uh, generally speaking, I'm pretty excited about what's coming. What's coming in the fall? That's good. Nothing about no food coming up, though. Right? Uh, actually, <laughs> actually, now that you bring that up, there, there is, there is uh, some food stuff coming up as well. To uh, a friend of mine connected with me, and he's had some success as of recent uh, in 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 the food market, and mm-hmm. and he had uh, placed at more of a higher rank at the the previous season of. Um, Master Chef Canada. Oh, for real! And so okay. we've we've talked about wanting to be able to put together some different videos and put them out on social and and really help build his brand and be able to cook some great meals and eat some great meals. Yeah, that, <laughs> that would be a great pro. If I uh, I want I wanted to be on that project, man. I'm I'm, I'm telling you, I think about food more than I think oh, about life. Oh, trust me. Some days, <laughs> I, did you see the Tim Hortons cup? <laughs> Do you know what I had to hide from being in camera side right now? <laughs> food. I walked in. I'm like, I don't know what to expect. I'm going to bring the food in. Right, right. But I, if I'm late, you know, I'm not going to eat it. No, I came I'm, in. I'm, I'm going like, to get you know, some food right after yeah, this, Yeah, you man. know, all right, we're thinking on the same page then. Because <laughs> I'm like, you know, I don't want to eat my food during the podcast. Right, so let me, right. let me, let me, let me just be polite with this. No, but no. But believe me, that. like my stomach is telling me, Ben, <laughs> Ben, look, look, respect me. <laughs> respect me. Put some respect on my name right now. I do not want you to put me through this torture while you talk. The good thing is we've been talking about some good stuff during the whole time. So yeah, it hasn't, yeah. you know, made me think about, oh, my gosh, what am I going to eat next? So it, that's already off my mind. Right I'm now. glad, man. I'm yeah, glad yeah. you could uh, come through and uh, enjoy the, enjoy having this conversation, man. So yeah, 100%. You, you know, because 
I, but you you know you're right. I didn't think about food either as much as I think about food yeah. until, we, until started, we started talking, talking about, about food. Like, look what you do to me. You to me right now, you know? But no, no, it's cool. But I mean, to close off on that point, I'm really excited to work with that friend because um, we're both kind of on the same page. We want to start doing work with brands. And so he has the vehicle where, you know, he's already kind of doing that, but he wants to up the production quality. He wants to make it more consistent. And so that's another thing I'm looking forward to okay. in the fall, being able to build that up and, 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 and take that to the next level, both for him and I. And so there's a lot of different things we've discussed and I don't want to spill any beans on stuff early right, until, right, right. you know, things have come into fruition, but expect some big work with, uh, with chef Michael G and myself. So Keep an eye out for that. That's great, man. That's great, man. I really appreciate you coming through. Yeah, thank you the for inviting me over. Um, how can people follow you? What's your Instagram, your Twitter and stuff? Uh, people can learn more about Benji Films. Yeah, so I mean, uh, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. I don't really post enough on Instagram and I, <laughs> and I get some flack for that. But if you want to be able to follow my stuff, uh, best place to follow it is on my, on my website. So um, it's just my first and my last name.com. So Ben Egbeke.com, B E N A G B E K E.com. Uh, I post uh, a fair amount of my recent work there along with my Vimeo. It's the same ordeal. And uh, a, a better way for me, a better way to connect with me is also through LinkedIn. Um, and I, and I post, uh, stuff from time to time there as well too. So if you want to be able to find me on LinkedIn, my name is, you know, Ben Egbeke. And so, um, if you want to connect, ever talk about video projects, work on projects together, right, right, or right. just, uh, I guess, learn a bit more about me or connect, whatever it may be. I'm always open to talking to people and figuring out how I could be resourceful. So feel free yeah. to uh, reach out. Yeah, he's a good guy to reach out to, man. So make sure y'all do it. Really appreciate you coming through again. If you guys would like to get in touch with us on the podcast, you can go to our website at youngprostalk.com. Please like us on Facebook, your Young Pros. Whew. Young Pros Talk. (laughs) And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Young Pros Talk. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Lucky Land Slots asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.